0: I'm getting a little choppiness from you. It's probably your trash internet situation.
1: Welcome to another D3 Datacast. I'm Zach Snyder, joined as always by Matt Snyder. And Matt, while we love Division Three basketball, we can admit that it is not perfect. And one of those things that can be fixed, we believe, and in a way of... Offering some constructive criticism, we're going to try to fix or offer our suggestions for fixing today the primary criteria. So let's start with a rundown of what currently is the the uh, the primary criteria. And when we speak of primary criteria, what we're talking about is sort of the the data, the information that the uh, committees, the regional committees and the national committees use when they're putting together regional rankings and then ultimately making uh, and seeding for the national tournament.
0: Yeah, we love talking about primary criteria. Even right away in November and December, these early games count for regional rankings and tournament selection. Zach, we're going to offer some tweaks to the system. Uh, So just as to run down what we mean, if you're kind of joining us for the first time, joining us for the second time, or joining us for the third time, here's what we mean by the primary criteria. Here's a refresher. Uh, There are five primary criteria listed in the men's basketball pre-championship handbook, and they are winning percentage in all Division III games. So if you're playing an NAIA school or a Division II school, that does not count in primary criteria. There's strength of schedule in Division III games. That is your opponent's winning percentage, how many games your opponents win. That counts for two-thirds of the strength of schedule. And then the final one-third of the strength of schedule is your opponent's opponent's winning percentage. So the teams that you played, who did they play, and, and what were the records there? The third primary criteria is results versus all Division 3 regionally ranked opponents. So, in February, the the national committee, the regional advisory committees get together and they rank the regions 1 through 6 or 7 and those ranked teams have fed into the primary criteria. We also consider head-to-head results in these Division 3 games if you play a team that's also up for consideration in your region or nationally for selections. That is part of the primary criteria. And the fifth and final criteria piece is results versus all division three common opponents. So if I played someone and you played the same team, Zach, you probably beat them and I probably lost, which means you're going to be ranked higher than me. Well, that may make you be ranked higher than me. That's one piece of primary criteria that they can look at. So that's a refresher. Those are the five primary criteria. That's what we're focusing on all season long in our hashtag D3 hoops conversation when we're talking about rankings and selections. Uh, And we're going to try to tweak these a little bit. If you want a little bit more information than I just gave, we had an early D3 Datacast episode called How to Make the NCAA Tournament. Uh, I'm hoping that'll be linked below in the description. Check that out. If you're maybe new to Division three or you didn't kind of fully grasp things last year, uh, check that episode out. We'll maybe do a refresher in the early season this year, but that that's our kind of guide to the selection criteria and things and so on and so forth. So These are the five, and we're going to tweak these today. So uh, as we move along here, as we start, I'm going to set up some parameters for this conversation, Zach, because you could go a million different ways when you're talking about fixing the selection criteria, fixing the, net, the, the criteria. And this is what we're going to talk about today, is we're not going to consider a new system. So we're not going to consider uh, some other I- ideas that I maybe like. Um, that's going to be a different conversation than this conversation, but like a strength of record type of formula. Um, or like a wins over bubble team type formula, maybe a little bit more of a black boxy type formula calculation. We're not going to add that in today. That's going to be a little bit more complicated. That's a separate discussion. And we're not going to talk about maybe a pairwise system that tries to take these and match them up in in a computer system. That's a different conversation. We're going to maybe tweak these criteria pieces, but not considering a a blow-up. And we're not creating new metrics. We're not going to really use new formulas that aren't really in place from the NCA or things that they've used in the past and in some other divisions maybe. And we're going to assume that SOS is kind of good enough to it's kind of doing what it's supposed to do generally. Um, I know you and Isaac have conversations offline about it's, you know, it's kind of a really ad hoc formula and it's not really great at what it does, but it maybe gets you directionally close. So we're going to call it good enough for now. And we're going to say that's a piece that we can keep and we're not going to really pick into that too, too much. Um, and and as I said, we're going to tweak the current system. We're going to keep regional rankings. We're going to keep the regional approach to selections where there's 10 regions, 10, uh, 10 regions are ranked from top to bottom. And you compare those, you know, number one in each region and then select the team and then fill in from the region and select the team. We're going to keep that system in place. It's again, it's those five primary criteria. We just kind of want to tweak, um, a little bit maybe we'll see how much of it's a little bit is but i think that's what we want to do does that make sense to you zachary
1: yeah that does and just to add some additional flavor to why we're not really trying to throw out everything we're just kind of tweak within the same system we have now is when i think about it matt i don't know if you agree with me but i feel like what the system is trying to do is oftentimes the right thing it's just uh maybe not being done in the best way right so you go back to uh, just the list of the current primary criteria winning percentage yes it's important to win games straight the schedule yes it's important to win games against a schedule that is strong um you know stronger than uh than a uh, you know winning games against a weaker schedule um it, it's it's important for a, a tournament resume or a, a ranking resume to have shown that you are capable of beating good teams, right? So that's kind of the the context I think of what the results versus regionally ranked teams is is trying to do, and then obviously head to head and and common opponents, a lot of good in in what the system is trying to do, and I hope that what we can present today uh, takes that and and maybe goes a step further and does it in a in a better way.
0: Yeah, we hope so, um, and. Through last season, you know we're going down. We're going through the stretch run. We're doing our pool C projections and things. We're talking about maybe some of the weaknesses in the system. People would ask us, "Hey, what would you do differently?" And this is kind of our response. Maybe what we would what we would do differently. Um, Kind of, we've had offline and online conversations with the various people, uh, and, and so this is this is our response. And yes, I think the system is pretty good at what it's trying to do. We've had some awful systems in the past. I think we have a pretty good system now when we're trying to do maybe marginal tweaks going forward. So that's 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 kind of the parameters for this discussion here.
1: And, and also important to note that we do believe in keeping the regional uh, kind of arrangement for at least the, the rankings we see during the regular season. I think that fits within the Division Three philosophy. I think trying to throw any of the regionality out of it in terms of of a more national system is probably not realistic given the Division III uh, philosophy. And, and whereas uh, it may be difficult for some schools to uh, worry about competing, um, at least in terms of their metrics nationally, uh, this really makes the, the first case worry about um, how you stack up with other teams in your region and then yeah. let let the national picture uh, play out as it may. But really, the first order of business there is to take care of business as, as best you can uh in the region right
0: yeah exactly so as we get into discussion here's our first idea here and i was kind of thinking about this i think i want to apply weights to the criteria so we just listed those five primary criteria the handbook doesn't give any guidance to the committees as far as is, is one or two of these pieces of criteria more important than the other? I think the answer is kind of no. They're all considered. Um, and and I like that they're all considered together. These are the primary criteria. So these are the first things we look at. We want to make a decision based on these five criteria. We don't want to go to secondary criteria if we have to. Let's make a decision here. So we're looking at these five pieces together. But I want to I would like to call out that winning percentage and strength of schedule is sort of like the, the backbone of this. So um, that's that's kind of... I don't wanna use the word primary again because these are all primary criteria, but that's that's maybe the main chunk of this. When you get to something like a regionally ranked opponents, head to head and common opponent results, I think I wanna have that support the winning percentage in SOS. It adds flavor to those and adds context to those. Um, but we also recognize that those all are already baked into the winning percentage and the strength of schedule, right? So if you have a win versus a regionally ranked opponent, that's a win that goes into your winning percentage they're regionally ranked, so they probably have won games themselves. So that's going to boost your SOS. Um, if you have a hot head-to-head matchup, again, that's a win. And then that's probably a good win because they're also being considered. So that's baked into your winning percentage and strength of schedule. Again, common opponents, that opponent for you and the other team being considered is baked into their win-loss and baked into their SOS already. So one thing I'm a little bit hesitant about in the current system is are we, and how many times are we double counting some of these wins and some of these schedule components for different teams? So I would like to say winning percentage and stre- strength, of schedule, always consider those two together because I think a winning percentage without a stre- schedule strength is somewhat meaningless and a schedule strength without a winning percentage is definitely meaningless. So consider those together and consider those first, and then have those other three items kind of support that, add flavor, add context. Um, I don't want to use the word tiebreaker. It's more than a tiebreaker, but it's kind of more along those lines. um, You know, when teams are very, very close and very, very even in winning percentage and strength of schedule, we're really going to dive in and, and want that extra flavor and context. Um, and by saying applying weights to the criteria, I, I don't even necessarily know we need to prescribe like this counts for 60% or 70% or two thirds. Uh, I just want it to be called out that these maybe are are the first things to look at and that these other things add flavor and support that. So uh, maybe not like a specific formula, it'd be hard to make these things too formulaic, but this is how I p- kind of personally see it and I would like the committees to maybe look at it this way as well so we're not getting into a situation where a couple of additional regionally ranked games are overweighing you know several percentage points of strength of the schedule and some winning percentage and difference because some of those games happen to be regionally ranked or not um, I want those to be kind of marginal differences and not big differences
1: yeah you mentioned sometimes there's there can be double counting and really it could be triple counting That's if you're talking about a win against a highly ranked, Uh, uh, regionally ranked opponent Uh, getting credit in the winning percentage in the strength of schedule. And then in that RRO category.
0: Yeah, for sure. We're getting, we're definitely getting some double and triple counting idea. Number two, I would like to look at fixing the home and road multiplier. So this is something that's in place for men's basketball, but not women's basketball. Uh, The idea that a road game is more difficult to win than a home game and that these should maybe account differently in your strength of schedule and I think that makes a lot of sense. So the current multipliers are 1.25 for a road game, 1.0 if it's a neutral a neutral site, no effect, and 0.75 if it's a home game. I would like to see that multiplier toned down a little bit to like a 1.15 for home road. I think we're a little bit heavy on the multiplier. I think it really makes sense to have that in there. It makes sense that a road game should maybe start boosting your schedule if you play more games on the road, especially against good teams. And that home games, if you just stay at home, it should kind of hurt your SOS a little bit. Uh, But I think the 0.25 is maybe still a little bit heavy-handed in that regard.
1: Yeah, Matt, as we were show prepping here, uh, I I went to Massey to try to give some real-world context to this. And so... I I tried to find uh, games against very similarly ranked uh, in terms of Massey rank teams. And, um, you know, we've talked about how tightly packed so much of the Rivers conference is, And so uh, I, I happen to be looking at Coe and Nebraska Wesleyan, right? They're within two places, each other in the Massey um, ratings, and uh, they split their regular season games. Uh, So you, you go to look at that matchup, um, In terms of uh you know the massey has the the kind of theoretical game um, page and a, a neutral court game between those two two teams um was a dead even 50 50. now you switch those to either team being the home team and that 50 50 matchup goes to a 59 41 percentage uh win percentage or win probability in terms of uh shifting the favorite to the home team Right, so you look at a fifty-nine forty-one. You're talking about an eighteen uh, percentage point swing there. So I it, mean, the one point two five definitely seems heavy-handed. Now, and that's that's in in terms of very evenly ranked teams. Uh, you see less of a pronounced difference if you're talking about teams that are very uh, different. Right, uh, a really good team is going to be heavily favored even at um, uh, a weaker road opponent. Yeah. So. Uh, you know, I, I think kind of that fifty-nine percent, forty-one percent win probability is sort of the the maximum real world that we would expect.
0: Yeah, so then maybe that leads credence to like a one point one five being more in line than with um, what we might actually expect than a like a one point two five. So yeah, thanks for thanks for adding that. I think that's I think that's a really good example. And and like you said, uh, the more lopsided the matchup, the less leverage that home versus road uh, adds to the equation. So I think you don't want to give a good team too much credit either for beating a bad team uh, on the road because maybe you know maybe that that would still be a pretty easy win Um, So when it comes to that home road multiplier, like I said, I want to tone that down a little bit, but then I also want to fix the math on the implementation of how that multiplier is applied to the wins and losses of team C's. The math gets kind of wild. And I'm going to show us an example of kind of how it's currently implemented and maybe how I'd recommend it for it to be implemented right now. So here's just kind of a complete hypothetical made up two game stretch of a schedule, right? So your opponents, you have team A and team B. And in that first list there, you're playing them both at home. So team A is 15 and 5, and team B is 9 and 11. And so I'm already saying you've taken out your results. So when you do this sort of math, it doesn't matter if you've beaten a team or you've lost to a team. That doesn't affect your strength of schedule. Uh, you always take out your own results when doing this. So let's just say that that's already adjusted for your, for your winning percentage. But those are home games. So it's a 0.75 multiplier. How, how the calculation actually goes by the NCAA they take that multiplier, they multiply it by the wins and they multiply it by the losses to get kind of an an adjusted win loss there. So that 11.25 and 3.75, that's like their adjusted win loss. And then those columns, those wins and loss columns are added together. And then that win loss percentage is the OWP. So you can see at the top where you play both those games at home, it adds up to an 18 and 12 adjusted record, which is a 600 OWP, right? Okay. So all right, that's the OWP. Let's take that second game against Team B, and let's say that was actually going to be a road game, or there's an adjacent team who's played the same two teams but played Team B on the road, right? Whatever the case is. That becomes a 1.25 multiplier for the road game. You multiply that with the wins and the losses. And and actually, Zach, the way this happens is that decreases the OWP of these two. So we switched a game from home to road, and in this two-game stretch here, it makes our schedule look softer, right? So to me, this is completely counterintuitive and this is not what it's intending to do. Uh, I, I would think the multiplier makes road games look more difficult on your schedule, but actually what this is doing is it's just making road games more impactful and home games less impactful. So if you play bad teams on the road, it magnifies the fact that that was a bad team and it makes that bad opponent more impactful. Uh, and this is even just a, a nine and eleven opponent, so it's not even a bad opponent. It's a pretty average opponent, uh, but it still it drags down your OWP harder if it's on, on the road. Uh, so that's that's the imp, that the way it's implemented is actually very counterintuitive to me. It's wrong. It's it's really a magnification of road game importance, and, um, uh, and it diminishes the importance of home games rather than making it more difficult or less difficult on your schedule. So what would it look like? What would be a different way to do this maybe? Um, I would say take that 15 and 5 and make that an OWP of 750, right? That 9 and 11 becomes an OWP of 450 and put the multiplier on top of that. So if we did that, then the uh, the top level OWP becomes a, a 450. That makes sense. The 600 goes all the way down to 450 because those two games both got the 0.75 multiplier. It comes all the way down uh but for that uh example below that OWP is 563 so we we add the oh yeah we take the four, we take the 450 OWP we multiply by 1.25 and that becomes 563 actually both of those become 563 for the 15 and 5 home example and the 9 and 11 road example and so your OWP stays at 563 you just like average it down the board for each team uh, to me, that's an implementation that makes a lot more sense. So I think if we marry this implementation with the toned-down multiplier, I think that that would make this number mean a lot more. Um, and we would get into some... I think you can get some janky situations where you could you could game the system a little bit by never going to a bad road team. Um, you could even get into a very, very fringe edge case. If you're an independent or you belong to a conference that doesn't play regular conference games, if you could convince every team on your schedule to come to your place, play a completely home schedule, um, or you have to go on the road and play a completely road schedule, if you played the same teams, that would end up with the same exact SOS, uh, just be- based on the way the math works, If 100% of them were at home or 100% of them on the road, it would, it would end up, the multiplier would just wash out. And I don't think that's intended, um, but that's the way that the math currently works out. So um, I think we need to fix this implementation, and I think we need to tweak the values. And that's idea number two.
1: Yeah, thanks for walking us through that. I I, um, I want to just—it's kind of interesting that the example you used here, how we ended up with a home game. Uh, you know, if assuming we fix the implementation, it kind of uh, it gives us a good opportunity to look at the effect of the multiplier, right? So because that home game against a fifteen and five goes to a uh, you know a modified five sixty three kind of like a maybe we want to think about it as like a neutral court game against a team with a winning percentage of 563 right uh would be is equal to um in a way game against a 9 and 11 opponent and so i feel like that's a an example of how the um the current multiplier feels heavy handed right in a way playing a game at a team that's 9 and 11 doesn't feel like that's exactly like having to play a 15 and five team at home. Right. So right. if we tone that down, you know, for the 15 and five team that uh, modified OWP goes up for the away team, it goes down. We see a little bit of a gap there that um, more, more represents how I, I would at least kind of intuitively feel like a home game against a five, a 15 and five team feels versus um, having to play a nine and 11 team on the road.
0: Yeah, I just I would think maybe a 15 and five at home would maybe come down from 750 to maybe like 600 and nine and 11 would go from um, 450 to maybe just above 500 or something. So there should in my mind, I think I'm agreeing with you. There should be a little bit of a gap there. And and we're seeing that it's not. Uh, But that's just impression of mine. I'm not like mathing that out. Uh, but I think I think I agree with you that it show right. it shows that maybe we're still too too strong on that multiplier there, yeah.
1: Right. So even if we fix the implementation, if the multipliers don't uh, change, here you know here's a, a perfect example of how um, two vastly different records, based on being at home or being away, come out to being an equal impact, at least in terms of OWP on um, an SOS.
0: Right. Exactly. Yep. And then moving on to our third idea is, this is probably the biggest one. This is probably the one even I would want to spend the most time on. This is the one, if I could, if I got like to pick one thing, I would pick this idea. I would like to change results versus regionally ranked opponents, RROs, to results versus RPI top, whatever. So I'm going to give an example later and I'm going to use RPI top 69 because we had 69 teams in the regional rankings. Last year, uh, 10 regions, they all had seven ranked, except region two only had six because it was smaller number of teams. Um, I think if I was proposing this, I would go to, to top 100 uh, just because I, I would rather set the bar lower and make sure we're getting all of the good teams. Um, also, 100 is a nice and round number um, and, and yada, yada, yada. But I'm going to give an example that's top 69. But, but whatever the number you pick, whether it's that same 69 number, whether it's like top 75 or, or top 100... To me, I would do that uh, using the RPI number that like you could hear about in division one uh, before they went to the net, net ratings. Um, RPI, the standard formula is just 0.25 times winning percentage plus 0.75 times strength of schedule. And that just gives you a, a formularic, formulaic marriage of the winning percentage and strength of schedule to, to rank teams. Um, and, and I think this would be improvement because I think regionally ranked opponent pieces of criteria has, uh, I could think of three big problems right off the bat first one is that it's not available in real time. It always lags a week. So we saw the last couple of years, the first ranking being listed alphabetically because the committee says they don't have all the criteria pieces yet. They're missing regionally ranked opponents. We didn't have any regionally ranked opponents. So we're always using the previous week's regionally ranked opponents to rank, to add into this week's data. So it's always lagging a week. Um, And then because the final ranking could become like an iteration cycle, they just say, okay, The last and second to last rankings all count for regionally ranked opponents. Um, So you get, like, even if a team fell from seven to like nine or 10 in their region, they still count for regionally ranked opponent just because we can't iterate forever. Um, RPI would get rid of that problem. We'd have the data in real time. It would just be, boom, here it is. Use it to go do your regional rankings this week. And that'd be easy. Uh, The second big problem I see is that it sort of assumes all regions are equal in strength that the um, balance of conference quality within regions are the same. We saw l- uh, last year in region six, that region was stacked with the ODAC and Emory from the UAA and some um, top teams in the CCS like Maryville or top teams from the SAA, like Barry trying to vie for uh, spots in the, re- the region. Like that was a really, that was a really good region. We saw region seven with the NCAC, the OAC top teams in the MIAA. Like that was just a really deep region. Some, other regions maybe had one conference dominating the whole thing. And it's really like the NESCAC and St. Joseph's of Connecticut or whatever in region one uh, and, and getting in, there's a different bar to clear, to get into different regions, um, depending on the year that could maybe shift a little bit, but it's, it's, it's not really an equal playing field across the country as far as what quality of a team is a regionally ranked team. RPI would get rid of that. It would sort of, Uh, It sort of nationalized that chunk. So it doesn't matter where you are in the country. If you're at a certain quality level, your game will count uh, as far as this sort of like regionally ranked opponent criteria or or versus RPI as we're trying to make it here. Um, And the other maybe uh, region equality issue is we have some multi-region conferences, notably the coast to coast and the UAA. And what the potential is, is that those conferences could have access to like the number one or number two spot in several different regions across the board? So maybe, you know, we saw Case and Wash U being highly ranked in their regions. I mean, Emory could very well have been uh, a top ranked team in Region six or Rochester in Region three. And all of a sudden, one conference, the UAA, maybe has four teams ranked number one or number two in the region. And we saw the committees like to reward games against those types of teams as like really good wins, like super regionally ranked opponent wins, uh, which I think is is smart. It's good of them to do. Uh, but like the Ohio Athletic Conference can't get four teams to be in the top spots just because you're playing your conference schedule. Like the UAA gets access to that, but these other conferences don't. If you went to like an RPI across the board, then maybe we would have seen last year that the ODAC had four of the top 10 or 15 teams in the country by RPI, and we could have given them bonus points for that, and that, that would have made sense. Uh, so I think we get around that problem. Uh, the, other, the third big problem I have with regionally ranked opponents is that line between um, who's ranked and who's not quite ranked. Uh, in most regions last year, that was the number seven and number eight position. That's super critical. The committees are saying they're spending most of their time figuring out where, where that line is because it's super important next week to see who was regionally ranked and who wasn't. So now we're drawing 10 arbitrary lines across the country and we're making that like the most important thing. If we have just like a top 100 RPI, there's only one line, 100 versus 101. That's the only, There's only one line in the country where that's super important. Uh, and that's another reason why I would say like set the line low enough where it doesn't really matter you know, matter that much. Cause you know, you you've already gotten all the good teams. So a team might be a one-on-one. Yeah. Like they're not a bad team. They're still a good team, but they're not like, we're not going to cry that they weren't a regionally ranked opponent at that time. Um, and you could even like, you'd even have a, maybe a national RPI list. You'd know, you beat one of your regionally ranked wins or your RPI wins was versus number 99 or 100. That's going to get you like a small bump, not very much. Whereas if you beat like a top five RPI team, that could the committee could choose to give, make you uh, get a larger bump from that. Um, So I think, I I think this would be a great fix. I think this would give the committee more live data to work with. It would allow them to spend time on their full region. I think they're already doing a great job of that, but it would make that like who's in and who's outline um, not irrelevant, but less meaningful week to week, right? It's still important to get teams in the correct order because that's still how we want to select teams, compare teams across region, uh, take the top remaining team from each of the 10 regions and, and compare them together all at once. We still love that. We still want them to do that. Um, but it's, it's, we're not focusing on these all these small little like who's 7 versus 8 in the region. That aspect of it doesn't really impact this process. It doesn't cycle back into itself for next week's data.
1: Yeah, I think the the difference of trading ten lines of demarcation for one line of demarcation is a really important point, point. Um, and just the fact that the, all the the rankings are real time and not dependent on week old data, uh, and not uh, you know the rankings then don't become um, super relevant or uh, mm-hmm. you know you don't have to have that hyper focus on it for the next week, right? You just you can start the process over the next week. Doesn't matter what happened last week. You've got all new, fresh data. The you know the RPI probably shifted a little bit over the course of the week. Take what's relevant for that week and make that new set of rankings, uh, the regional rankings.
0: And then and then we get back to a point where the regional rankings uh, give teams and coaches information on where you are, where you stand within your region, it, but it doesn't like it doesn't affect the future rankings like it currently does. Like. We're vying for, I need my opponent and my opponent's opponents to be like all in these regional ranking things so that they can be ranked higher next week. And um, we we talked about it last year. First week is alphabetical, so we don't have regional ranked data. Then the second week, we have regionally ranked data, but we don't know the order in which they were ranked. So we don't know like what was a good regionally ranked opponent versus a bad regionally ranked opponent, uh, or not bad, but a less good regionally ranked opponent. And then the third week, we finally have that data but now we're in the third week, and we're freezing the data too to some degree because week three and four counts for the official data. So by the time we actually have all the information, it's sort of locked in, um, and then it kind of changes slightly one more time. But we keep those week three in there as well, and it just is a system that never flattens out, never levels out. This stops that like feedback cycle from getting, from from having to happen, and we just take the information as it comes, we roll with it that week, and then
1: and then we move on. yeah I, you know, i think there might be some uh some friction maybe when some people hear rpi because i know it, you know that's it turned into a big thing uh several years ago in division 1 and they've moved away from it i i do believe that rpi is listed uh i don't know that it's primary but somewhere in the criteria in division 2 i believe they're still using rpi and i know there's been some talk maybe that uh even at the division 3 letter level it's not Part of the criteria, but somehow the committee has access to it. I'm not sure uh, to what extent, if at all, that is ever referenced or used. But I, so, you know, I, I don't think the the leap to RPI would be um, as controversial or as far fetched as you know some people who uh, you know might think of the way it was talked about years ago and and bristle uh, yeah. against it.
0: And, and RPI is a super like loose directional sort of rating system. It's not super good or super perfect. Um, but I think what it's good at is it takes two pieces of criteria, criteria you already use, winning percentage and strength of schedule. It combines them in a standard way and it can give you like a rank of teams. And I think to some degree that's good enough, assuming your, your line is low enough that you're, you're counting all of the good teams. If you did an RPI top 100, You've gotten all of the teams, essentially, that are or could be in position to get into the tournament and maybe win a game. Right? It'd be a major upset if one of these teams outside, like, really won a game. And I'm probably going to contradict myself because there's I think there's a team on my next list that that maybe won a game. So we'll have to see that. But but really, you're talking about the the competitive teams are all going to be in that like top 100, um, top 100. Uh, area. So I'm going to go to the next slide and we're going to actually look at an example what this would do uh, to the data. So um, here over in the left column in, these are teams that would now be quote unquote ranked in the top 69 if we went to an RPI system. The right column out in red, these are teams that were ranked in their region, but were not in the top 69 nationally in RPI. So games against them would no longer count for this criteria, quote unquote, I'm saying count if we did a top 69 system just to match it one for one and teams on the left would. So we add teams like ODAC and Wash, uh, Roanoke and Washington and Lee from the ODAC. We add Barry from the SAA, uh, Calvin and Shrine from the MIAA, Marietta from the OAC, Illinois College. We add another NESCAC in Trinity, Connecticut, um, Albertus Magnus in the GNAC. So like region one, region six, region seven, there are teams coming in here that we just didn't have room for maybe all of the good teams uh, and some teams that we leave out. There, there's a few CCIW teams in that were just kind of really middle of the pack in that conference. Region eight had some really strong teams at the top, and then the depth fell out. Um, so like Carthage at six sixty seven five twenty nine was ranked, and like you can compare that to Central at seven fifty five thirty unranked. Um, and yeah, we're not looking at the what whatever they had in RROS and things like that, but it's, it seems like it's a good trade right off the bat. Um, So, I I think I don't think we're losing much. We're not losing like team quality by making this change, it shifts the regionality a little bit. But if you have a whole bunch of teams from good conferences in one region, like why not count those good games? Um, and the teams that are out, I think it's interesting to me, all but two of these would have been in the top 100. So if you expand the criteria from 69 to 100, just to make it that nice round 100, we're basically counting all of these. We're not counting Emerson from region two and St. Mary's from region nine. So like maybe we lose a little bit there, but other than that, all of these teams would be considered in a top 100 sort of scenario. Uh, So, you know, we're kind of getting the right teams in regionally. um, It's not like a, a drastically different type of team is what I'm trying to say. We're getting sort of the same types of teams. Uh, we had seen going from 2021, uh, 2022 to 2023 last year, they reduced the number of teams ranked in most regions because they were just spending so much time on this regionally ranked process, particularly ranking the bottom, uh, teams. This would, this would solve that. We were more like, uh, you know, 80 to hundred teams the year before. So I, I think these are all the same types of teams we want to consider. We want to consider results against. If you did this formula like RPI, I think, I think we're adding value. We're adding speed to the process. And we're getting the real-time data, and we're not really drastically hurting the types of teams uh, that we see. And in fact, we're adding more context by counting a team like Roanoke, who's good all season, had good numbers, and like just was fallen outside of a, a really, really deep region six last year. And same for several of the teams uh, on the board. You know, Barry, in the exact same region, 889 winning percentage of strength of schedule that was hovering right around 500 for like most of the end of the season, and like they could not sniff the rankings why can we not consider a game against Barry in these results? Um, And I I think we should. And that's why I would love RPI top 100.
1: Yeah. If you look at the, the out list, you know, you can pick up some pretty pick out pretty quickly. Some of the regions where, you know, some of those teams were ranked because you have, they had to rank someone, right. We had, uh, you know, most of the CCIW Ranked because, well, there there was you know a strong conference and there wasn't a whole lot of other other teams to choose from. You know, St. Mary's uh, was another one that was on there because someone needed to be ranked, right? So, you're losing um, those teams in favor of a lot of the names that we were talking about. You know, some of those arguments during the course of the year, uh, teams that were probably you know maybe um, eight or nine, just on the wrong side of of that cut line in their particular region and and you mentioned them you know a lot of them are the 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 higher winning percentage teams who had the SOS that was just too low or um or was even maybe historically seen as like an okay SOS but for whatever reason last year as we we saw uh or seemed to see a greater shift towards SOS that those became um you know a, a little bit more middling like you know you might be on the right side of 500 but those teams were treated a little bit more harshly last year um so, so, yeah, and and uh, great to point out, as you mentioned, like if we take this as a top 100, you know, for the most part, this isn't a, um, you know, uh, replacing one block of teams with another block. This is, it's mostly just here. Here's, here's a, a great uh, set of teams that were uh, basically of the same quality as a number of other teams who did get regionally ranked because maybe their region wasn't as deep. And now we can consider all of those games. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I like that idea. We're considering all of those games Let's set the, we're we're drawing arbitrary lines of demarcation, right? So let's set that low enough where we're encapsulating all of the teams we want to consider against. Uh, And then we can still consider relative quality. If we wanted to, to straight list them one through 100 and give like more credit to the higher teams and lower credit, you can do that. Or you could bucket them like top 25, top 50, then top 100 and see like records versus all those buckets. You could do that. You could do whatever you want. It just, you don't have to spend time worrying about your exact placement because that piece of data doesn't, again, feed back into itself. It's just RPI formula. Whoosh, there it is. Now use this as a piece of criteria to add flavor to the whole body of work, the winning percentage the strength of schedule. What did they do in these RPI games? What did they do against head to head? What do they do in common opponents? It all adds flavor and context. And here you go. You got the data in real time. Let's just move on. All right, Zach. So we talked about a lot of things. Here's what we talked about. Here's the primary criteria after what we propose. We want winning percentage just as it is. We want strength of schedule, you know, essentially as it is, but we wanna we wanna tune that multiplier and I think we wanna check that math out again. We wanna fix maybe how it's implemented. And then we want those two pieces of data to be the kind of the backbone for the process. So your winning percentage and your strength of schedule matters a lot. And then our results versus top 100 RPI, we kind of are tweaked criteria piece. We want that to add context and flavor. We want to still consider head-to-head results and results versus division three common opponents. We want these last three to add context and flavor to the winning percentage and strength of schedule. And we want them to kind of be weighted a little bit subordinately to those other pieces of criteria. So that that's our tweak. Do you think we made the system better or do you think we made the system worse, Zach?
1: Oh, 100% better. Now, Matt, the one... Uh... One discussion that you could have that we didn't mention so far, and I, I want to bring this up because you talked about kind of the, the winning percentage and the strength of schedule being, um, I don't want to say super primary or the primary primary, but they're they're kind of the 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 first pass through the primary criteria. So the question could be asked in that context, then, should there be a, you know, maybe a qualifying winning percentage or a qualifying strength of schedule at some point is a winning percentage? too low to be considered at some point is a strength of schedule too low to be considered do you think that there should be um you know kind of those minimum thresholds of a winning percentage and strength of schedule uh to be met before moving on to a more full picture uh and to kind of qualify to be ranked
0: that's a tremendous question that's the question we had all last season specifically with like the university of rochester and they're like, what was it, 640 winning percentage and then an astronomical SOS. Uh, in
1: general... Well, and we saw what Carnegie Mellon yeah. was what, ranked at 625?
0: Yes, in Region 7, they were ranked uh, around there during the process as well. Um, I, in general, I don't like saying, you know, whatever it is, 651 is okay, but 649 is not okay, like for your winning percentage. If you drew the line at like 650. I really don't like hard lines as much as possible because you could have some crazy exception that you might want to consider. And I think it's important to consider those things, but I do want to consider, uh, and I also don't want to go to like, we're just going to use these two and make an RPI and go across the board. Um, just using that same formula and that's how we're ranking teams. and Then we're, you know, making slight adjustments for the other things. I don't want to do that either. Uh, cause I think there's, I think there's some like diminishing returns to, a uh, a stronger or weaker schedule. Uh, we're kind of the system's kind of centered around 500, but I think that's where like the curve would maybe be the steepest. Um, and then as your schedule gets harder, um, it's not really boosting you. I don't know. I don't know that it's really boosting your strength sc- your your resume as much. It kind of feels like it f- should flatten out on the high end, just like on the low end, it should sort of stop hurting you as much at one point. At some point, if you go if you go 25 and O against teams that are all winless, like, yeah, you didn't play a good schedule, but you went 25 and O. If you went 25 and zero against teams that were all like five and 20, is that that big of a difference either? Um, so I think like on the low end there's some diminishing returns and on the high end, maybe there's some diminishing returns. And I want the committee to be able to suss that out unless we had like some sort of curved formula, which I would be interested in exploring. Cause I'm like a, um, you know, nerdy in that way, but it, in the absence of that nerd alert alert, yeah exactly in the absence of that i'd like the committee to be able to have those conversations those discussions and look at the additional context like did they play just astronomically good teams across the board and they did pretty good against them when they played them i'm open to considering them um you know did they have a tough schedule but they really lost to all their good teams and they beat up on some like you know, they beat up on like teams that are in like the 550 range of winning percentage. So, they're, they're overall, their strength of schedule looks good, but they didn't really beat anyone that's really like a tournament team necessarily. Then I'd want to consider that as well. So, I'd like to have like danger lines. Like, we're really, we really have to have a reason to consider Rochester last year. And I think maybe we did have a reason to consider whether or not we put them in. Uh, that's a different conversation. I think they're fair to be considered. I want to keep considering teams like that. I don't really want. You know, I mean, at some point, yeah, like you're not going to consider a sub 500 team just because they played like a 900 strength of schedule. Um, necess- I mean, may- are you? Maybe? I don't know. Probably not. You're probably not doing that, but I don't know. But again, like, don't just throw it out just because like, I don't know. We think it's too low. We can't, we can't ha- we can't think about that. Um, we could think about anything. You'd have to just have, to have a really good reason to do it. Uh, so I guess that's a too long-winded way of saying I don't like hard lines, but, you know, let's be reasonable about it as well.
1: you know I throw out the nerd alert but here it is uh early august we're talking uh primary criteria so
0: yeah never too early never too early to talk about primary criteria november games count. well
1: and the thing is well and even you know once we get to the season really it's not it's not time to talk about it anymore this what it's set in stone yeah. uh, the time to make any changes or have those discussions is during the off season yeah. uh you know when when those things can be discussed and and you know, hopefully implemented. Yeah. Uh, but you know, once the season's underway, you know, what you got is what you got. And we have to live with that. However much we may debate it, it's really, it can, it can be the time to debate it because it's you know a current event, but it's really not the right. time that anything's going to get changed. So, yeah. uh, what's the point.
0: And, and to be honest, the time to change it is probably already passed. Um, so, but I, you know, whoever's supposed to be having those conversations, are having those conversations and we'll see if any systems get tweaked or changed or whatever going forward. Um, I know that the championships committee is always looking at new ideas. The regional committees and the national committees from like men's basketball perspective are talking to the championships committee about what they see and what they think. So those, those conversations are happening. Um, They're not like probably seriously looking at like random 250 follower YouTube shows for like their like best inspiration. Um, you know make it a few more subscribers if you want to click subscribe below. Uh, but, I, but people are having those conversations I'm sure and and we'll see once the season starts if any any changes actually do take place.
1: We'll see how quickly the wheels of motion change wheels of change move.
0: My how something the, like that. How the turn tables. All right, Zach.
1: I think that wraps it up. All right. Well, you know, Matt. Part of what makes this fun is that we can talk about primary criteria because there's a great community around Division Three basketball, and we um, have already experienced some great community around our channel. So at this time, we'd like to uh, recognize our patrons uh, on Patreon. You can go to Patreon.com/D3DataCast for more information on what that's all about. You can uh, also scan the QR code there. Um, yeah really thankful for the people listed here for supporting what we do um helping to keep d3datacast.com ad free keep all the the uh the you know rating regional ranking uh data that uh we keep in track uh free and accessible to everyone uh and you know Matt we even uh, picked up a few a few new patrons there uh at the good job team level so we appreciate that thank you Appreciate all team. the,
0: all the support. We pre- appreciate the viewership. Uh, if you share the episode, if you liked the episode, if you subscribe to the channel, we appreciate you special shout out to these folks on the screen for joining our good job team or great job team. Patreon tiers. uh, love the support. Thank you so much. It means a lot to us. We're so excited about the season coming up and we're excited to get back into our regular routine of episodes. Come the fall, November is right around the corner. Zach, I cannot wait you're going to have to. It's just a couple more months. All right. That is it for today, Zach. Great job, team. Good job, team. Thanks, everyone.